What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another great show of the Guyon Now. Uh, I am, of course, your host, Bob McIntosh, and stoked that you are spending your time here, whether you're listening to the podcast or watching the live stream in our Facebook group. Either way, appreciate you giving of your time because it is one of the most valuable things that you can give to me, so I don't take that for granted. Um, so today, I'm actually pretty excited about this conversation. Um, uh, Derek and I were talking, and we met through a mutual real estate group and um, just connected and said, hey, you know what? I think he's got a lot of information and knowledge that will be valuable to bring for all of you. Um, and especially because um, Derek, unlike, I don't want to say unlike many, but Derek has survived through the downturn in eight and is still crushing it in real estate today and, and moving forward. And I think that's something that we can all take lessons from. Um, if you've been following my journey at all, you know that I've lived through that and some of my tragedies and our first deals and craziness that happened back then. But I think as we look at what's happening in the future right now and we look to where things are going, um, there's lessons that we can all take and learn from people like Derek who have gone through a slowdown and even in some cases, in, depending on your market, a negative appreciation. Um, I don't, was that deep? I guess depreciation. I just, I like negative appreciation. It sounds cooler. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and learn from that. So, um, you know, I'm excited for him to be on here, excited for you guys to learn. I know um, he also uh, has some share about some of his crazy stories as well as uh, funding and, and private money and a few other things. So without uh, stealing any more of his thunder, Derek, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate having you here. Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. This is always a lot of fun for me. So looking forward to chatting. Perfect, perfect. So for those folks who may not know you, which is probably a good chunk of my audience, um, tell us a little bit about your history, what you do now, and sort of, you know, how, how you're out there making it happen for your business now. Well, I'll give you the short version of the history and we can dive in if you want to talk about, you know, the market change that I went through before. Um, but I started out in 2003, late 2003. Like most, you know, I bought a couple of fixer upper rental properties. I, I'm located in Wisconsin. So, you know, for, for the most part, we're doing, you know, upper Midwest numbers. You know, we don't have California numbers. We don't have New York numbers, but some fixer upper rentals. And simultaneous to that, um, I had gotten connected with some people in the Florida market and had started buying and building new construction projects in Florida. So from 2003 through 2006 and into 2007, we had built up a fairly large portfolio, which uh, came crashing down rather quickly. And, uh, you know, watched our, our, at that time, $4 million portfolio go to about 1 million in wow. six months. Um, ended up losing the, the vast majority of my holdings and, uh, what what I did back then, Bob, was I was a slave to the banks. I didn't know any different. I thought I was God's gift to real estate investing because look at me, I could get a loan as I could plug <laughs> in here, you know. And, um, you know, I was using uh, equity out of each project to roll it forward, roll it forward and, and grow. And and I was brought up to, you know, in, in the real estate space to buy and hold. That's what I was taught early on. And you know, one, when the people that were in long-term leases with me <clears throat> were moving out of my house to go next door and save $500 a month, there was not a whole lot I could do about that scenario. Like legally, could I go after them? Sure. They had nothing to go after. Right. And we, 
we didn't have the means to even chase them. So moving forward after that, you know, there wasn't a bank in the world that was going to touch me. My credit was destroyed. Uh, it was either quit or find a new way. And it didn't, I didn't realize it was a blessing back then. Now looking back, I know that 2007 was, was a huge blessing in my life because it forced me to not rely on banks, rely on institutional financing. Uh, we started partnering with people. Eventually we got to the point where I met my current business partner. Uh, his name is Jeff. And that was about 2012. Jeff had never used a uh, bank for any of his investing. He had always either raised private capital or structured, you know, a creative deal. And uh, I remember kind of a turning point for me was, was Jeff had asked me, because uh, I told him I, I'm in the, the space of wanting to hold assets and be a landlord. And I didn't really want to be a landlord, but that's what I was taught, right? You get a hundred units and they each cash flow a hundred dollars a door and you're making $10,000 a month. I mean, that was the sales pitch in 2003. <laughs> Ironically, it was a I good hear, sales pitch. And I still hear the same sales pitch today, Bob, with the same numbers, which is a little scary. Um, cause 10,000 isn't what it was that many years ago. But he asked me this question. He said, well, how many hours would it take you to manage a hundred rental units a week? And it's a full-time job. I mean, yes, right. you can hire it out to management and there's, there's but essentially it's a full-time job. And he said, how many hours do you think it takes to manage a hundred loans versus a hundred rental units? And the answer is a couple hours, three hours. It's, it's minimal. Right. And it was my first, I guess, eye-opening experience to being a lender. Cause I never thought that I had the education or the background to be a lender. I didn't have the, I don't have millions of dollars at that point that I wanted to lend out myself. And, but it was just eye-opening. And I, I started to think, okay, the lender has the most control out of any transaction, right? Like as a landlord, I've had some dead bodies I had to deal with. Uh, four actually I'm up to at this point. And wow. in each one of those cases, nobody called my lender and said, Hey, you, you've got this deceased person in your, in your dwelling unit. You've got to take care of it. Right. I have to take care of it. I'm the property owner. I'm the landlord. I got to deal with all the stuff and my lender just gets paid. And if they don't get paid, they come and take the property away from me. So a little shift in perception. So, and, and so Jeff and I were, we were flipping properties, we're acquiring assets. And it got to the point as we we're raising more and more private capital that we had more money than we had deals. And that's when we started doing more and more lending uh, as an arbitrage business. So okay. we pay our investors, uh, like currently we pay our investors 9% return on their money. It goes into a fund. We lend it out at 12%, uh, in some cases, 13%. And we make the spread. So anybody can be a lender in that model. It's all about relationships and taking care of people, right? Um, and that's what we got really good at. If we look back probably four years ago, five years ago was probably a, another turning point in, in our mindset because until then we were fairly small, you know, we would do a couple loans here and there. It was a side gig alongside of us flipping properties. Uh, the shift really happened when we started realizing there was a lot more competition in flipping and landlording in our area, in, in our region than there was in being a lender. 
and people were coming to us all the time. Do you have any money? Do you have any money? Do you have any money? And we didn't because we weren't focusing on it. So um, we, we shifted focus. We still buy and sell. Um, we still have crews that, that do rehabbing and we wholesale and all that stuff. But our primary focus now is, is the lending business. And I mean, a, a good average month throughout the last couple of years, we're, we're turning about 20 loans a month and um, all still private people. That's all we really want to deal with. And uh, I don't see that. So is it, is it private people on both sides? So you're finding individuals with money and then you're also finding individuals that need money and you're basically just being the in-between? That's correct. And I, and I really, I, I, I don't want to say that I'll never use institutional money, but I think my, my PTSD from 2007 of, of getting scorned by, by the banks and the banking industry, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not trying to say that there is but you just don't have any control. If I'm dealing with private people, Bob, if you're my, my investor, you're my, my lender, and there's a change in the market, as we're seeing right now, you and I can have a conversation. We can sit down and talk about plan B, plan C, plan D, whatever it needs to happen. Right. Um, but institutions, they just don't have that flexibility. They can't have that flexibility. They've got stockholders and and you know government agencies to answer to and all these things and that's what i learned in that 2007 through 2010 era because it was a three-year time frame i mean going through the foreclosures that i was a part of and you know short sales and everything that i i had to go through it just really showed me that nobody's a decision maker they all just point the finger to the next person and the next person nobody wants to take the blame for anything it's a CYA type of atmosphere, and it was so frustrating. So when we designed our lending company, we designed it the way we would want it to be as the borrowers, you know? And, and we've got a very low default rate for that reason, because when somebody borrows money from our company, when, not if, when they run into a challenge, we want them to be able to come to us. We want them to call us and say, hey, this is what I'm up against. How do we work this out? And that is so, you know, 180 degrees off from what every other lender, in my opinion, does out there. You know, most of them are just rigid and they say, well, here's the dates, deadlines, and, and you failed, give us the property. Right. You know, that's the last thing we want to do. So, uh, so that's the... That's the short version, I guess, Bob. <laughs> no, this is perfect. And so uh, I want to dive into a couple of aspects, right? So um, could you, would you share a little more detail about, I'll say the progression of what happened to your portfolio and why the lenders were difficult to work with? I, I mean, I have some ideas about how that would go, but I think what's important for folks to know is, you know, I, my experience of a lot of real estate investors has been this, you know, we, we think, we think we're, that we're untouchable a lot of times, especially if we've not gone through the, like the, the, the bad times or the, the more difficult aspects of the real estate. And then all of a sudden we think we have a lot of protection and really we don't as the investor a lot of times, but the lender does. And we don't always think about how does that translate to what I actually own and you know how much do I own and how much control do I really have? And so um, if you could maybe just share a little bit more about sort of what happened there, because I think as people look at what's going on right now, it'll be 
like anything, right? We learn best from stories. So a, a good story can teach us more than anything else. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more of yours. Well, let me uh, tell you all my painful stories that my therapist finally got me over. And now we're going to dive all that <laughs> all back up again. No, I'm just, just kidding. Um, I couldn't afford a therapist with all my issues. I have these different views based off what we went through, Bob. And, and it, it's maybe um, something that your listeners won't want to hear, but it, it's the way I feel. Okay. People... And, and I say this because I did all this. People currently are using their, their personal homes as a piggy bank, taking out home equity lines of credit. And I did this. Got damn lucky I didn't lose my personal house when the markets crashed. Um, and, and so back then, we were doing that. We were taking out lines of credit against our other investment properties. We were rolling this all forward. We were just, and we were buying based on equity which is crazy when you sit back and look at it. If you think of musical chairs, the music stopped. There's not enough chairs for everybody. That's the same thing that's happening right now, but there was big time in 2007. And when the music stops right now, same thing is already starting to happen. I'm hearing this from friends of mine. Lines of credit are the first thing to get called due. Mm -hmm. um, almost nobody actually reads their documents. So they'll take out a, a line of credit, whether it's a home equity line of credit or a line of credit from a, a vendor like Capital One or, or Chase or, you know, the, the credit card companies. All of those loans typically are callable at any point in time. So if you have $100,000 home equity line of credit out on your house because you went to put it into a flip property and the flip project is halfway done or it's on the market, but not sold yet. And your bank calls your, your line of credit due. And they'll typically give you about 30 days and they'll say, you've got to you know, pay this back. Well, number one, why are they doing it? Interest rates have doubled. They, they may call it due and reissue you a new line of credit at a higher interest rate. Or what most people don't think about is banks are regulated. All these, credit companies are regulated. And if their portfolio starts looking upside down and their rating with the, the Fed starts changing, they don't have a choice. So if they right. get top heavy in car loans, for example, versus home mortgages versus lines of credit, they have to balance their portfolio. Nobody ever tells you this kind of stuff, but that's what happens. And they're not going to tell you that they're the bank. Right. They got to look superior in your eyes. So a lot of that was happening in 2007. Now, what happened then won't be the same now because of back then the, the loans were getting bundled and sold off to Wall Street and it nobody cared about the actual underlying property. They were just, you know, cared about hitting their quotas. Mortgage brokers had quotas. You got to write so many loans. It doesn't matter. These no doc loans. I mean, at the risk of, of getting myself in trouble, I signed documents that I had, I didn't put the numbers in there. I had no idea where they got the numbers from. I, it was just, Hey, sign here, Derek, and we'll give you your loan. You can go build this house, buy that house. Right. <laughs> Absolutely naive. Stupid is the better word because I'm the one liable for that. And yes, when the music stopped and there wasn't enough chairs for everybody, ended up in foreclosure, ended up losing all these assets. 
and I had great credit, had my wife and I were both employed at the time, good jobs, good income. I could not overcome millions of dollars worth of debt. It, it's one property is one thing when you multiply that over and over again. And, and I see this even with our own borrowers, like we require a certain percentage of, of reserves for each loan that a borrower takes out. And we've got some borrowers that have two or three or four properties with us and they want to use that same amount of reserves for all four loans. And it doesn't work that way. We won't issue a loan that way, but that's what it was in 2007, right? If I had $50,000 of reserves, they would say, okay, great. I can get you 10 loans because each right. loan is going to be its own loan. And we're going to show on each one that you've got $50,000 worth of reserves it's spread out over 10 properties. When they all go bad at the same time, it's impossible. Mathematically, it no doesn't bueno. work. No bueno. <laughs> right. So I'm seeing that today. Um, people are still believing that m comps from six months ago are legit. They're not. Um, average days of market is extending further and further out. Now we're still in a seller's market according to data, right? Because sellers, seller versus buyer's market is based off of how many months of inventory in your area are sitting for sale. And we're still, you know, a lot of people believe there's an, such an inventory shortage that this won't be that bad of a, a downturn. Um, I don't necessarily you know, agree with that, but that's what a lot of people are, are holding on to because in a lot of cities, there is still a shortage. The caveat to that though, Bob, is people will do whatever they have to do when they run out of money off their paycheck, they will live together. They will live with family. Friends will pool together. So they don't have to buy, they will adapt. Right. So, um, and that makes a lot of sense. I, I think when we look at the, the bigger picture of um, what's happening right now, um, that's, I think that's all great advice. And I, I think the most important thing that we can have people take away um, right now from, from this is, hey, understand that as markets tighten up and credit um, will you know, tighten up, the most important thing that we can do as investors is just understand where we're at. And so, you know, in terms of the financials, in terms of that. And so let me ask you a question. You know, you, you do, you do lending and you said you built this lending company as uh, how you would want it to be if you were the borrower. Um, and so when we look at, you know, a lot of folks right now who are still uh, in, and I'll include myself in this as well, are looking to build our long-term buy and hold portfolio at the end of the day um you know do you see as someone who operates essentially a fund that lends out money are you able to lend out funds for extended periods of time let's say a 30-year loan or things like that or is that not something that you that you see or you do or that you see out there because i think one of the reasons that people end up going to banks more often than not is that they can get that longer term financing instead of getting a 12 month or you know you know 12 to 36 month loan and then all of a sudden they got to figure it out again in a couple of years they want to know that they have themselves locked in for a good period of time yeah and and you're not wrong i mean our niche is short term for that reason, we we don't want number one. Our invert our investors don't want long term. We don't right. want long term because we don't want to get trapped in. Um, I don't want to be trapped in a thirty year loan at three percent when I could be making 
10%, right? Right. Um, but I think where most people are, are missing the boat is, is the creative side of it. You know, buying something subject to that 3% mortgage locked in for another 28 years or 29 years or putting options in place. You know, a lot of this type of stuff I wish I'd have known about back in, you know, when the markets crashed and I, I couldn't do anything about it anyways. But if I if I'd known more then, uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm doing currently and what I think is going to be a really great six to 12 months opportunity. And that's using options. Um, let's take Florida, for example. Hurricane just came through. Many, many people are without roofs or roofs, depending on where you're from. <laughs> and I have a friend of mine. He's currently, he's a door knocker. It's what he's, he's done his whole life. It's, it's how he builds his portfolio. And he's literally just going around neighborhoods, knocking on people's doors and talking to them about their houses. And if they need money for repairs that they don't have, and he'll give them the money to replace their roof. But for that, he wants to get an option to purchase their house for the next mm -hmm. 10 or 20 or 30 years. But it's a great way to build up future assets. It's a great way to build up retirement account funds. And there's so many other things that can come of that relationships, um, you know, that homeowner saying, well, no, thank you, but go talk to my neighbor across the street. They've got X, Y, and Z situation going on, right? So using options, I don't have a lot of competition with it where I live. I, I love using them. Um, I mentioned purchasing subject to, I think that's fantastic, especially where I live in the Midwest, we can still buy cash flow. Uh, I don't believe in buying for appreciation after what happened in 07. I, I won't buy a property that doesn't cash flow. Appreciation to me is a bonus. You can't feed your family on appreciation. You can feed your family on cash flow. But if I buy somebody's property subject to their loan staying in place, the one caveat to that is I want to know that if that loan got called due, I can pay it off because I, I know a lot of people who got burnt when the markets crashed, you know, people had gone out and bought a portfolio of a hundred properties subject to, and then they just walked away from it. And those hundred previous homeowners all got foreclosed on and, you know, hurt their credit and destroyed part of their life. So anybody that's thinking about doing that, using that strategy, have the wherewithal to be able to make those payments on time that you said you would. And if it gets called due, be able to cure that, whether it's selling the property off, refinancing it, or just paying it off in cash, whichever, whatever it takes, I would not advise anybody taking subject to if you have zero means of covering it. Yeah. If and I, I, I saw so much of that, uh, in 2009 and 10, especially, um, I don't know why those years, but in, in those time frames, I saw a lot of that. And I think that's that goes back to, and I just want to touch on this, because I think one of the most important things um, that we can understand as investors is this. If you've been around the game for long enough, this is a small group, right? There's not that many investors. Like, you know, I, I think when a lot of us get started, we look at this and we go, oh man, there's so many people doing real estate. There really isn't. Um, and especially as we go through this next downturn, um, a lot of the people who 
I'll say were dabblers or more, you know, this is more of a hobby for them. They're not going to make it through because they don't have the wherewithal to understand what's going on and how it's going to impact them and to be aware of conversations like this that we're having. Um, but the one thing I can tell you for sure is that if you are in this game for long enough, um, if you don't do the right things, you will gain reputation for not doing the right thing and you will not have a business for very much longer after that. And, that, and I know in the Buffalo market, for example, where we've done a lot of our deals, and I, I won't call this exact individual out, but this particular person did a lot of that same thing and exactly you said left them high and dry. And right now, you know, if you search for that person's name in the area, you'll find all of these negative reviews from all of these homeowners who were left high and dry. And guess what? That person can't operate in real estate, at least not in the Buffalo market, probably not anywhere for that matter. Because if you look at his, if you search for his name, it pops up pretty much everywhere. Um, and that will, you know, it, it, it will it will come back to haunt you. And by the way, this is true not just for how you operate as an investor with sellers, but this is also true for how you operate with your lenders, for example, right? Like, look, I've had deals go south. Plenty of deals go south. Not Like, if someone hasn't had a deal go south, I don't trust them yet, right? Like, you got to have something. Um, and same thing, even though we've had deals that we've lost money on, all my lenders always made back every penny that they lent, plus every penny of interest, not just that they were supposed to accrue, but also for the extra time that I might have needed to get them paid back in certain cases as well. Um, and I think that right there, if you're if you're new to a downturn in real estate, understanding you know and making sure that you have options, like Derek said, um, to take care of things is going to make a huge difference in your long-term viability as an investor to continue forward. That, that's my thoughts, anyways. You're 100% correct. And as a lender, when somebody comes to me and and they're asking for in a, in a you know extra period of time or or whatever they need, as long as they're communicating with me, we're open to it. Um, right. I will say within our company, we have a no assholes policy, which that that goes to borrowers, that goes to investors, that goes to sellers or buyers, anybody that is hard to deal with, we don't want to do business with. We want to enjoy what we do. And so let's talk about borrowers. When borrowers are communicating, they don't fall within that clause. We're all trying to work together. If they stop communicating or they just ghost us, now we have to spend money with our attorney. We have to turn everything over and, and go through foreclosure process. Yes, at that point, we are going to go and do whatever we need to do to make our investors whole, who are our lifeblood. I mean, if we lose our investors, we can't lend money to anybody. Right. So, you know, investors, number one, I love what you said, Bob, that you always took care of your investors no matter what it took. Um, at secondary, the the people that, you know, contractors, the people that, that we need to rely on, our title companies, our closing attorneys, our CPAs, that, that all that infrastructure, if, when you have the right people in place, especially when it comes to times like now, is so, so hard to, to tell you how important that is. Um, no, just let's use title companies, for example. You know, I think it's safe to say most of them have been very busy the last couple of years. And I can go to my title company and ask them for a, a four or five day closing, start to finish, and they'll get it done. Right. And most title companies can't get a search done in two weeks. <laughs> in two weeks, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but those relationships are what now as we're shifting into a different type of market, we're going to have some different opportunities. Those relationships are going to matter. And I think most people um, 
might take that for granted. Yeah, no, and, and I, I think that's that's so true. Um, and and again, like, I'm, I hope hope if you're listening or watching this, right, you're not going back going, oh my gosh, this is like terrifying times, right? Like we gotta stop doing real estate because I don't. I I want to be clear that that's not the intent of this. I think the biggest thing that we can learn, um, and you know, in my whatever it's been fourteen-ish years of doing real estate, the biggest thing that I've learned is, hey. Nothing in this space is completely new, right? There's aspects that are new. There's uh, there's parts that are different than they were before, but all of this has been seen before. So the best thing that we can do is find someone who's lived through it and say, what did you go through? How did you survive or not survive? What lessons did you learn and, and take those away? So I think I think this is this is super important. So thank you for sharing, Derek. Appreciate it. Well, I'll say the last thing, Bob, is in every downturn or in every changing market, there's about 95% of people, you know, suffer and 5% of us thrive. There's opportunity in everything. So it's, it's just change the glasses you're looking through and you'll see opportunity. It's, it just, it's going to be different than what it looked like six months ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I, this has been extremely insightful. I know even for myself, even having gone through some of this, but there's still, I think, a lot for us to, to learn from what you just shared. So thank you for that. Um, if people want to connect with you, I know you also have an event that you run as well. Um, share a little bit more about where they can find you and what you got going on in that space. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm going to give everybody my personal email address first and foremost, Bob. Um, it's it's Derek, spelled D-E-R-E-K, at bestreifunding.com. And first thing is, I, I'm in the middle of authoring a a book on my own, which is about the lending process, how to be a private lender, start to finish. Um, and by the way, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I'm just a construction worker at heart from, uh, you know, the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. So <laughs> anybody can do this. So that, that book hopefully will be published in January. And then I'm co-authoring a book with uh, a, a group of people that is being put out by a guy named Kyle Wilson. Um, you ever hear of Jim Rohn? Mm -hmm. uh, Kyle Wilson is Jim Rohn's business partner. And so cool. Kyle asked me to be a part of that project, which is really exciting. That's coming out mid January as well. So I'd, I'd like to be able to give the electronic version to your uh, listeners. Just send me an email, say, I heard you on Bob's show, put me on that list to uh, get those books when they're published and the electronic version will come to you free of charge. Um, awesome. Well, thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, and then our conference, the way it was came about is we, we went on a conference at sea for seven years of its eight years that it went out and we became very good friends with the people that hosted it and put it on and they were educators and mentors of ours and, and just became lifelong friends they you know got to a point in life where they didn't want to host this anymore they asked us to take it over which we did and uh same time frame as COVID hit so got interesting but we will have our, uh, our, it's an annual thing. It's going to be in February in Cancun, Mexico. Uh, it's a five-day conference, February 27th, I believe is the start date. And it's a little bit different than anything else out there, I believe, Bob, because we, we bring in speakers. These are, these are really advanced strategies. Not that newer people can't come, but just know that we're, we're not talking about, you know, how do you market for wholesaling? It's, it's a little more intense than that 
so my speakers are up there. They're not pitching. They're not selling anything. This is content only. I do encourage people to do business with our speakers and with each other after they vet each other, but nobody's up there saying run to the back of the room for the next 10 minutes and, and get it. Right. For nine, <laughs> nine, you know, um, but our conference speakers are going to speak from nine until one each day. And then one o'clock through dinner is networking. It's getting to know everyone else that's there, including the speakers. And then in the evenings, we've got these town hall sessions, which are more interactive. You can attend as much or as little as you want. And the other part, which I told Bob before we started the show, I really encourage people to bring their kids, um, especially 10 and older. And any age is fine, but 10 and older, if they want to sit in on some of the lectures, be a part of everything, there's no additional cost for the kids to do that. And the real purpose of that is not for the kids to learn these advanced real estate strategies that most adults don't understand yet. It's for them to meet other kids who have parents that are freaks like us. <laughs> don't conform. You know, we're entrepreneurial. It, can you imagine if, if our kids build a network like we're finally building later in life in their teenage years and their early 20s? Imagine what they can accomplish. And uh, I can say my three kids, especially my older two um, who are 16 and 11, they've got friends from all over the country. They stay in touch with each other. They, they've, you know, of course, social media, but they physically write letters to each other. Um, That's awesome. We get together a couple times outside of this conference with these families. It's, it's really, I've seen firsthand how it's changed their perspective on life. So I'd love to have you and, and your listeners, if it's something that you think is you know, beneficial to you, check out the conference. It's called Generations of Wealth. The website is gowvoyage.com. And uh, it's not a huge event. I've only got, this is not a sales pitch, Bob. It's going to sound like one, but I've, I literally only have a certain number of rooms that I could block at this all-inclusive resort. And after they're filled, I don't, I can't guarantee that they'll release more rooms to me. Right. So our goal is 125 to 150 people, a nice intimate size where people can really get to know each other. And that's it. Cool. Uh, I've, I've, for any of you who know me, I've ran an event similar to this in the past. Uh, I don't anymore because uh, of COVID and all that and a few other things, but um, I love events like this. I think the opportunity to network and meet with people, like you said, and build that network is always huge. And um, for me personally, you're speaking to my my soft spot of, of helping kids. One of the things that we actually do at our company is um, support um, support a, a gentleman who goes out and teaches kids about the things that they don't learn in school, things like this, the network, how to do that stuff, and, and many other things. So I, I love that aspect because I think it's such an underutilized tool for younger generations to continue to grow. So um, definitely, if you're interested, check that out. Um, Derek, thank you for sharing all that. I truly appreciate having you on. Um, as always, for everyone listening in, watching, wherever you're tuning in from, um, I appreciate your time. Like I said at the, at the beginning of the show, it's the most valuable thing you can give. So I acknowledge you for spending the time to listen and watch. I know that you'll take away some great uh, tidbits because I know I did. And um, again, as always, the only other thing that I ask is, as payment for this free show, free live, free podcast is tell a friend. 
if you feel like, hey, it's someone that you know uh, can learn from what Derek just shared, just send them along to the link and let them check it out. That's the most uh, valuable thing that you can give to me as uh, payment for this. Very simple, very easy. So, Derek, thanks again. Really appreciate having you on. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. And for all of you listening or watching, we'll see you on another episode next week. Take it easy. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by 3 Degrees Consulting. If you need funnels, websites, paid ads management, or help with any of your digital marketing, 3 Degrees Consulting is your go-to source for everything. Check them out at www.go3dc.com. That's G-O, the number 3, D is in degrees, C is in consulting.com. Go check them out right now. Oh,